0: And welcome back to a fresh episode of the Business Growth Show. I'm your host, Sam Dunning, co-owner over at webchoiceuk.com. And if you haven't yet, check out my weekly email where I'm sharing actionable website and marketing tips, useful podcasts, free goodies, resources, and much, much more each and every Monday. So you can kick off your week with a bang. Why not give it a trial over at BusinessGrowth.email? Joining me today, I've got Aaron Gores. Aaron's the VP of Marketing over at Hyro. Aaron, welcome to the show, sir. How's it going? Hey, Sam. Thanks for having me. No worries, dude. So today we're going to be chatting all things on what I think is a rather controversial topic, but I'm going to—I'm sh- sure you're going to sway myself and our audience. Otherwise, Aaron, we're going to be chatting about why outbound sales should be reporting to marketing. And I know you've got hands-on experience in this, so excited to, to dive in. And see the the thoughts for and against as we as we battle it out. But first and foremost, Aaron, business development reps, sales development reps. I mean, traditionally, they were meant to report to their managers, or maybe dep- depending on the size of the org, their VP of sales or their chief revenue officer.
1: Isn't that right? I thought that was I thought that was a standard process. Yeah, it is. Uh, you're not wrong. So uh, it's the unpopular thing to do is to put BDRs or SDRs under the marketing department. In fact, I think. Uh, as recent as six months ago, it was HubSpot who did a study across B2B companies. Uh, where did the BDRs or the SDRs sit? And it was only about 30% that are actually under the marketing department. So that's, it's growing, but it's definitely mm. not right. The majority I didn't realize it was that many. Okay. Uh, yeah. So it depends on the size of the company. It depends on the stage of the company. Um, really the, the arguments for why I think it's so critical at least for a company like hiro that's doing enterprise sales um are you know, a b2b company we're focused very much on account-based uh um you know now all b2b is abm right but we're very focused on account-based marketing um for us our bdrs are treated like ba- brand ambassadors the messaging is critical we're going after very specific c levels and vps and it just makes sense for the bdrs to have that very very strong connection to the marketing department and direct access to a lot of the resources that come with being within the marketing department that's one Uh, but ultimately Mm. for us it just meant who's going to put the most resources and emphasis into training BDRs and making sure that you know these representatives are uh, you know as connected to the messaging as they can be and then of course that they're that's going to reflect in their overall performance so who's really going to own the team and and try to grow the team and uh, for us, it was uh, a decision that has now uh, paid dividends over the course of the last year. So we've got 12 months of this under our belt. Uh, and BDRs are, are pretty happy, I think, to be under the marketing department. Um, you know, It's only helped them to grow and, and understand a little bit of the of their product offering better and the messaging that goes with it.
0: Yeah, so it's something that you've tried and tested, it sounds like, for the last year or so. Yeah. And I mean, in your own experience, was there much of... Before we dive into some actionables, was there much of, I guess, a couple of things? Was it difficult, first and foremost, to do the transition? Like, did your sales team think, what the heck are you talking about when you said it's going to happen straight off?
1: Absolutely. Um, So for us, it was a fundamental change in the way that our CEO saw marketing. So it was a conversation between our COO, who leads all of our commercial uh, um, activities, and then our CEO and myself about where are we in terms of our outbound initiatives how's cold bound, how's cold outbound performing um, you know how much are the bdrs invested in in hiro as a brand and and around that messaging and you know kind of understanding the customer personas um, my ceo decided the best thing to do and i agreed with him is to put all of top of the funnel under the marketing department and once you do that what comes with top of the funnel is of course one to one outreach uh, so a lot of marketing departments are you know they're still doing one to one-to-many or one-to-few and for us we wanted to own that one-to-one outreach as well um combined with the fact that we were already you know 80 percent of our uh, of our sales qualified opportunities were already coming from field marketing so what we wanted to do is combine the strategy around field marketing and have BDRs very much connected to the marketing department that runs those events um, while sourcing those meetings while sourcing those opportunities uh, so really the play was, okay, who's going to own all of top of the funnel and be accountable to all of the top of the funnel? And with it comes the, the BDR department. Uh, and I was more than you know happy to take that on and, and take that challenge. And uh, ultimately we scaled the team. So we're a small company, right? Hire is a Series A conversational AI startup. Um, we're relatively small. We're 58 employees. Uh, but we grew from two BDRs. Now we're actually a team of six. Uh, we plans to go to eight by the fall. Uh, so we, we showed that we're able to scale, show that we're able to, you know, uh, show growth in that department and the numbers have never been higher. So uh, for us, I think it was, a, it was a great decision and kudos to my CEO, obviously, for realizing that that's that's the right play for Hiram.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And in terms of this strategy, do you think that it's only going to be workable for enterprise B2B businesses that perhaps are selling higher ticket, longer sales cycle? products or services or do you yeah. think it can work for other orgs too
1: great question so uh, a follow-up to that question i would ask a company is who does discovery calls um, mm. so really it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be uh, selling to enterprise or, or you're an enterprise SaaS company or your B 2 b2b company even the idea is who's doing that first touch point so for us right first discovery call the the first call you know it, general is handled by an account executive. If you have AEs that are going to cover the first call, so it's, it's not as critical that BDRs are under the sales department because they're not taking it past that point of, uh, of qualification. So for us, it wasn't an issue that top of the funnel would be handled by all of marketing and that the BDRs would be under marketing. And they're basically compensated on how many qualified meetings are attended and then how many of those become opportunities. So while they're incentivized by opportunities, it's not their goal to bring them to op, and because of that, it made sense that sales doesn't have to run that that part of the organization. I think when you don't have um, AEs doing discovery, and there are a lot of B2B companies that give uh, BDRs or, or STRs, right, that 15-20 minute discovery call. Mm, uh, so sure. if you're running, if you're running that playbook, then it might make more sense actually to keep BDRs and STRs under sales. And I think that's the major uh, that's that's a major factor if you're going to make that decision. I wouldn't think it's as good of an idea. If our BDRs were doing discovery calls, I wouldn't think it's as good of an idea for uh, the marketing department to handle that because then you're, you're crossing hairs with, okay, what about qualification, you know, entering pipeline. Now you're into the VP sales ca- uh, territory or you're into that, that sales department's territory. Right. And, and you don't necessarily want to uh, uh, um, you know, mix that oil and water. So um, you know, the, the alignment I think uh, can be as good as can be, but, if discovery is being done by uh, by the uh, AEs, then you have a chance to put it under marketing. And if discovery is done by BDRs, SDRs, it makes sense I think, to think to keep it under sale.
0: Got it, yeah, I like that explanation. So in this instance, you mentioned quite personalized one-to-one tailored outreach. So when I think, in my head, if I think SDR, if I think outbound sales, sales development reps, BDRs, I'm thinking cold calling, 50 dials, 70 dials, 100 dials a day, they've got a targeted list of accounts, they're hammering those, they're aiming to set, I don't know, two, two meetings, three meetings, four meetings, whatever the criteria is for their AEs, their sales reps, then pass on to hit their quota per day, yeah. per week, per month. Is that approach going to work in this in this instance, or are we going something completely different? Um,
1: so for us, you know, we, we're a tale of two verticals right now. So Hiro is hyper-focused, we have agnostic technology, but we're hyper-focused on real estate and we're hyper-focused on healthcare. And we've split the BDR team to to reflect that, right? So we have verticalized BDRs. Um, For us, yeah, look, the typical approach of cold outbound has worked. I mean, we've combined that with targeted physical events and we've also timed it so that we have about one event per vertical every two months, right? So that means at any given point in healthcare, you have one event per two months during the year, and that event is enough to actually take what would normal be normal numbers around uh, cold outbound, and we're seeing those numbers boon because of the events. You have pre-event booking meetings. You have during the event. We're also starting to send our BDRs to the events to actually book meetings on the floor, and then you have okay. post-event residual effects of actually going uh, to that event. Um, yep. So we do traditional cold outbound, but what we're also doing is making sure that we're going to very hyper-targeted conferences that relate to our ICPs in these mm. industries. And then that's how we're seeing those numbers really grow exponentially throughout the year. So that's been our biggest play. And, uh, and it's worked for HIRO. And I think if uh, other companies are verticalized B2B SaaS, they should definitely look at combining that approach. And, and there's a couple of nice tactics I can throw in if you'd like
0: yeah i'd love to um that's interesting so you're you're talking about some kind of targeted outbound work where that's cooling and stuff and then super focused industry events which is interesting because there's so much slating and i'm sure you see it too aaron where linkedin any b2b platforms where people saying in events are dead focus on digital selling focus on i don't know targeted webinars podcasts (laughs) community slack groups wherever your customers hang out but then I suppose well, I in, in agree, industries yeah. like yours, which are perhaps a little different to your your target market, events might make more sense. Or let's dive into that a bit deeper.
1: Absolutely, I I, I would never say uh, that a you know B two B SaaS company shouldn't be doing right now, uh, you know, a video podcast or some kind of webinar, you know, series that relates to their ICPS. I think that that's definitely a nice supplement and something we're working on and getting better at now. Um, it depends on the stage of growth, right? I think I wrote to you, Sam, that I've been with Hyro since it was pre-seed seed series a, and now we're raising our series B. Um, and over time, you know, I can tell you that now our, our focus has shifted more towards, okay, how are we running demand generation playbooks to bring in inbound for the BDRs right. so that they can you know, qualify, um, intent that's coming in through inbound. Um, Versus what we've been doing now, which is to to get that short term growth. So we've been able to, you know, overachieve our targets based on this cold outbound play, this field marketing play. And now we know, okay, we're, we're going to move into new verticals. We're going to, you know, add different industries and different customer personas. And uh, and what we did before is not necessarily the best way to do things, but as a small startup, it was the right way to do things in order to hit those short term goals. So absolutely, I think that you know, the right playbooks are, are sometimes if you can do it off the bat, building that inbound engine and just driving through a lot of, you know, content creation and uh, SEO articles and webinars and whatever you can do to drive inbound is fantastic. Um, You know, owning the top of the funnel also means hitting those short-term goals so we can grow as a company and, you know, uh, continue to raise those, uh, those capital rounds and, and, and so forth. So uh, it's, it's about a hybrid and knowing, you know, which gears to, to switch on when. Yeah, that's fair. That's, that's quite
0: a well, well-rounded approach, which is interesting in terms of your, um, your outbound strategy, what would you say is the split like compared to your sales reps doing cold outreach, whether that's calling, emailing, LinkedIn personalized content requests, etc. opposed to events. Is it like a 50 50 split or is it quite, quite different in terms of what's yeah, actually can... driving the meetings?
1: I can tell you because I just summarized 2022. So 54% of our uh, opportunities right now are coming from field marketing, which might shock. Wow. You know, that is shocking. Considering, considering yeah, considering mm. <laughs> you just said uh, how a lot of marketers feel that physical conferences are dead. Um, yeah. You know, to be honest, in, in healthcare, that's still the way that these these uh, C-levels VPs are conducting their business. Mm. Um, and in real estate as well, it doesn't seem to be slowing down. In fact, the conferences we went to, the last two were completely sold out. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't see any signs of this channel slowing down for us. If anything, you know, we're, we're still kind of hitting, I think that peak where uh, the return of COVID has happened and, and uh, now these conferences are fuller than ever. Um, but uh, but yeah, for sure, it's not going to be relevant for every single vendor out there. Yeah. It's not going to be relevant for every marketer. Uh, these are industries that are still... I don't want to say antiquated, but but they absolutely have some kind of old school feel to them. And so yep. physical events are very much alive and kicking. And that's where we've definitely uh, you know, we tested a lot of channels, and that's just where we found a uh, major success and the cost per meeting, the cost per opportunity from events, even when we get a booth, you know, 20 by 10, whatever it is, still cheaper than the amount I'm paying for LinkedIn to bring in that same meeting or that same opportunity. So um, you know, for for us, for now, again, to hit those short-term goals and and get those wins on paper. I mean, it's great to be to have found that one channel that's really driving success for us, and that's field marketing combined with cold outcome. This is
0: very interesting. So, I'm sure a lot of marketers are listening to this, or they will be, and are thinking, "What the heck? Like, this is brand new information." To quote Phoebe or friends, but with that said, <laughs> have you got any ideas of perhaps um, marketers or business leaders, etc., that are tuning in that yeah. aren't in an industry that works well in physical events. So, for example, yours does, but let's say they're in more of a tech-based industry where perhaps events worked in the past and now it's digital is the way or online is the way or there is other channels to actually reach your target clients. Is that just a case of their SDRs or BDRs should just stick to the traditional phone, email, LinkedIn
1: maybe direct mail or what are your thoughts there depends completely depends on, uh, on budget. I like the last one you said, which was direct mail. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, you had, um, uh, you had, uh, CDs and then all of a sudden like vinyl came in or sorry, you had CDs and then MP3s and now you have vinyl making a huge comeback. I think vinyl overtook digital music sales like a couple of years back um, it's kind of how direct mail is with like you had all these interesting virtual ways of getting to people. And now because everyone's so focused on jamming up the inbox of a C-level or a VP or, you know, attacking them on LinkedIn through uh, email, yeah. it's like <laughs> the, the actual physical mailbox of a person is relatively empty. So if you're considering some kind of unique way to stand out, I think direct mail is amazing. and You have so many companies now. Uh, three specific come to mind: Postal, Alice, and Sendoso. That are all like phenomenal tools. I- I'm not sure about price point, and I'm not sure about budgets of some of these marketers, but phenomenal tools for getting into the actual direct mailbox of uh, C-level or VP. That's that's to me, you know, and something we haven't done yet. We haven't tested this, but to me, that's an incredible way. You know, if I had that budget back from field marketing and we weren't going to some of these events, those are some of the things I try. Uh, for instance, i take an industry report, I'd print it out, I'd uh, handwrite a letter to a, a C-level VP in targeted accounts, and I'd send it right to their you know, office or, or home address, which some of these, uh, I don't know if that sounds creepy or not, but some of these platforms actually have uh, you know, these people's addresses. They're, they're available. And hmm. you know, I send them this report with a handwritten letter, and that's immediately, you're standing out. That's, that's not an email in an inbox. That's, that's a lot of effort you put in that might be rewarded interesting
0: Um, aaron let me ask you a direct question you're a vp of marketing right so a lot of people will be prospecting you if a sales rep sent you a super tailored (laughs) gift that they'd done some research and and it was interesting (laughs) would you take the meeting
1: thousand percent yeah you know what and maybe uh maybe that's because i'm you know i'm super biased because i lead a team of bdrs and and maybe that's you know part of the reason why I would be so impressed by that and, and move to take the meeting. Obviously, mm. if if the product is completely irrelevant, I take it back. You know, if they're uh, pitching to me about some kind of like, uh, I don't know, cafeteria service for the company, i probably shut it down. But uh, if it's something related, <laughs> SEO services, whatever, within the umbrella of marketing, yeah, I probably yeah. would. I think, um, <laughs> you know, even if I didn't because it's relevant now, I'd remember it, right? Yeah, even, that's uh, a good point. Even, you know, it's, it's a boring example to bring up because everyone knows Gong is kind of like the gold standard now of B2B marketing, but I still remember the prospecting that Gong did because it was a voice note on LinkedIn. It wasn't even wasn't even a good voice note, to be honest, but it was a voice note nonetheless and it stood out. It was a different medium. I was receiving something that really cut through a lot of the noise. Um, so absolutely, I think it's worth a shot and you'll never know if you don't test it. So, On the flip side, yes, completely agree. I mean, I
0: I've said this on the show loads of times, but the amount of I get get prospect on LinkedIn and cold email. And first of all, I never get cold calls. And secondly, I never get voice messages or video messages that are actually tailored to me. Um, So it just just shows you the lack of us two getting those things is just so few and far apart. So just by doing that, you're breaking through the noise. Now, let me ask you a slightly tweaked variant of what I just asked you. So rather than a personalized gift, what if a sales rep offers you like a $150 voucher or $150 discount card coupon or something like that. Something a bit more generic to take a meeting with you. What's your response then?
1: No, um, probably, no, Uh, honestly, Mm. it's not gonna move the needle. It's not that, again, uh, it depends on the product and and if it's actually relevant. Maybe if I was already on the hunt or evaluating something similar, I might be moved, You know that, that might move it slightly, but it's not gonna take me from zero to 100 uh, if it's something that like I was completely uninterested in, you know, that's, that's not uh it's not as interesting. And, and I'm sure you get, like, right, we get those emails all the time, like 20, $25 gift card to leave a review.
0: Yeah. It's not,
1: you know, I don't go, you know, make money where you can make money. I don't, uh, you know, uh, judge people who are taking those offers. For me, it's not something, you know, time is the most precious value we have. It's not something I'm trading for, uh, the gift certificate, but if someone really went to the efforts to try and get my attention because they think I'm relevant for their product and they sent me something that's like, you know, shows, I don't know, some kind of like deeper connection to me as a person, then that, that might do it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was just throwing that one in the mix because I saw a while ago on LinkedIn, some people were testing like different vouchers and stuff to book a demo. But in my opinion, it just sounds a bit almost like you're forcing someone to take a demo that they might not have otherwise taken and yeah. they're probably only sitting on there for 15, 20, 30 minutes just because you gave that incentive rather. Yeah. Buy. So I'd imagine the conversion rates on those are super low and it's almost a waste of time and money. But if if anyone's got data to prove me wrong, get in touch because I'd love to see it.
1: That's a great point. I, I think, um, we had an internal debate about this at Hiro actually regarding events again. So, uh, what kind of things do we want to do at the booth? Right. And, and, uh, also about the marginal returns at these events, like how much you put in, how big the booth has to be in order to actually gain value, uh, it would you know would surprise some people. But the size of the booth doesn't necessarily mean you know more qualified opportunities. Um, and so one of the things we talked about was you know putting out like an espresso uh, an espresso machine, basically bringing in a barista to make everyone coffee. And I'm very okay. again, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm against those things uh, yeah. because of what you just said, which is. You know, it's it's basically like, uh, yeah, come to my booth to get coffee and I'll scan your badge so that I have yeah. you as a lead, except you're not a lead unless I wanted to sell you coffee because you came to my booth to get an espresso, mm-hmm. not because you're interested in enterprise-grade conversational AI. Um, and I, I think, like, uh, you know, that's something that when you go to these events, you have a ton of these circus tricks going on and a, you know, a ton of these lavish uh, uh, stands set up. And yeah. It's like, you know, and, and you see these people scanning like crazy all the badges. And it's like, okay, well, great. So now you have a very, very convoluted list of people who were at your booth and you don't know mm. if they were there for yourself or just because they were thirsty that day. You know,
0: That's a great point. I haven't even thought about this because we've never really done physical events. Not something I've ever got involved in. Any tips? I don't want to make this all about events, but it's quite interesting because we've not had it on the show before. But any tips on what's working for your team, Aaron? in terms of actually engaging people when they are at these events and what their best
1: practices are? Absolutely. Um, so first of all, I just want to say that if you are a marketer now at a smaller startup and you can't afford to do a booth at these events, so you can still have presence. Even if you can't go to the event, we do what's called event hijacking. So we basically, you know, insinuate that we're a part of the event or, or like we're participating in the event. Uh, just by knowing about the event and, and uh, frequenting maybe some of the free sessions. Um, But basically we'll go, you know, after the speakers and say, Hey, we saw that you're speaking at this event. And sometimes you don't even need to be going in order to get their attention. Just your acknowledgement of the fact that they're speaking, just your acknowledgement of the fact that the events happening creates a warmer connection. than if you're just doing regular cold outbound, right. Without mentioning it, because all of a sudden, you know, if you actually talk about, uh, um, the event with the speaker or an ICP of yours that's, you know, you saw as attending the event that creates this bond between the two of you. It's a bond of timeline of place of relevance. Uh, so that would be my, just like, if you know, you're you're thinking to yourself, wow, physical events, we don't have budget. Well, that's one way to to get over it is look for all the events where your ICPs are going and talk about that event. You don't have to mention whether or not you'll be there physically. Talk about the event. Yeah. 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 I like that. I think that's uh that's something we did at the beginning too especially you know especially uh during COVID when all these events were were virtual it was it was super easy to to create you know strike conversation around these things
0: Mm. Mm -hmm. that's interesting what about what do your reps tend to do when they're actually at the event so that's a nice way if they're not going but is there are they just doing the standard kind of standing outside the booth and trying to grab people's attention that are walking past are they doing anything a bit different or anything that's lesser known
1: yeah so um so I think in terms of our events playbook, our, our reps are relatively good at booking a lot of meetings before the event. Um, and that's, that's mostly, you know, if we, let's say we booked 70 meetings for a healthcare conference with like 5,000 attendees, right. That's considered really good. And then I'll always account for about, you know, 30% no shows since it's a big event. And sometimes these people drop off, they've got sessions, they're, keynote speakers they've just uh i don't know inundated with meetings and friendly Mm -hmm. faces so there's the no-show portion but ultimately there's a number we always attach a percentage of the attendees that are icps and then how many meetings we expect to get and then one thing we do at the event that's that's very critical is that we're extremely now adamant about getting a follow-up demo booked uh which really relates to higher just that we're able to create uh Demos without them doing anything on their own data. Um, So we'll promise that and we'll set that meeting on the show floor. So if they come to our booth, you know, our gold standard now isn't actually like, okay, the volume of meetings we've set right before the event. It's during the event, how many of those meetings did we actually qualify and set them as opportunities for that second meeting thereafter? And that's the biggest, you know, that's now our biggest sign of success. Okay. Uh, That's a big deal for us.
0: So to confirm kind of your your SDRs, your BDRs will get like a list of the attendees, match that with idle client profile, reach out to them before the event, kind of pre-book some meetings, which majority yeah. 70%, I think you said, will, will will show. And then from there, you'll look to have a conversation, qualify them and then book them for a de- demo after the after the event.
1: Yeah. And uh, just one more tip I'll, I'll say about uh, no shows. So to reduce the amount of no-show rates, what we actually started doing uh, is we have people on the show floor, usually a BDR will take a selfie of them smiling with our like little signature swag item uh, of the booth. And then write, you know, it's a really, it's a cute, uh, cute gesture. They'll write an SMS to the person because we'll have their phone numbers usually from being exhibitors. Uh, And then they'll actually send this photo. And that's how we've actually seen our no-show rate drop because, you know, it's hard to ignore such a sweet uh, picture of someone smiling (laughs) on on the show floor. It's like uh, difficult to ignore. So, yeah.
0: I don't know if they saw my face on a photo. That might scare them away. (laughs) Well, that's why I'm not the one who. (laughs) Oh, good fun! Good fun. Cool. Like those tips. Chili Piper is an advanced scheduling solution for B two B revenue teams. Rather than listen to me ramble on, here's a super happy customer describing how Chili Piper has revolutionised the way they work. Chili Piper as a tool has just become part of our fabric. It's our meeting booking system for our prospects. And you'll be pleased to hear it. it just does it. It's like the ideal piece of software which you don't have to babysit. It just does what it needs to do. My SDR team like using it as well. The main bulk of their role is outbound prospecting which they use Chili Piper to book book those meetings. Ultimately, they are booking meetings for the account executive. Their handoff is working, you know, really well. You just heard there how Chili Piper can free up resources and turbocharge your productivity. Book your free demo today over at chilipiper.com slash bgs. That's C-H-I-L-I-P-I-P-E-R dot com slash bgs. chilipiper.com slash bgs. Are you tired of competitors stealing your traffic, leads and sales all because they're higher on Google? Maybe you're investing in paid ads but want to enjoy the benefits of organic SEO, meaning free traffic and inbound customers and not having to pay Google for every single click. Or perhaps you're running SEO and ads, but your website is failing to convert your hard earned visitors into a steady flow of qualified sales leads. Any of this sound familiar? Let the team at WebChoice fix that for you. Book a free consultation today at webchoiceuk.com. That's webchoiceuk.com. All right, let's let's get back to it. So outbound sales, reporting to marketing, what were some of the disadvantages? What were some of the hard, tough points, what are some of the negatives from your experience hands on from doing it, Aaron?
1: Yeah. So again, it really depends how the organization is spread out. Um, And there's a lot of, there's a lot of factors that go into this, but I'll just say that one of the biggest cons, um, which we're going to start to see potentially soon um, when you have that talent pool of BDRs or SDRs and they're growing in the company. So a lot of them might want to stay in the marketing department and do Performance marketing, or product marketing, or become more on the analysis side, or lead a team of BDrs, whatever it is that remains in that you know in, in that department. Um, but some of them might want to become account executives, and that's where I think that's really the biggest con I can I can think of because right uh, there you might have an issue where if the BDrs aren't in the same region as account executives, that's one an issue. So it might either be because there's no opening for AEs in your current region or just because the departments are completely separated anyway. Example, yep. I'm in Tel Aviv. Um, so our BDRs are here in Tel Aviv, even though they're mostly Americans and Canadians. And then right. our, our account executives are in San Francisco. So that's a okay. tough that's a tough uh, play. That's a 10-hour difference. Time so, train, yep. so time zone affects it. And basically what I'm trying to say is if BDRs want to become account executives, that's one case where either they're going to exit your department so as an executive in the marketing team you've invested all this time into someone who's yeah great he's continuing with the company but he's going to leave your department uh or two there won't be room for them to grow into that account executive role and then what do you do so if the sales team says that's cool that you have great bdrs and sdrs we don't want them as account executives now their growth might be stunted and there's a ceiling there so that's one issue where i think you know you'll you'll have to face kind of what to do about that and again, the other goes back to discovery calls. So if you're going to want the BDRs, SDRs to do discovery, now they're in the marketing department. How do you handle that? Because you're essentially taking something that's inherently sales-based and, and, you know, putting that marketing hat on it. Uh, so that creates some friction there. Okay.
0: Um, so career. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate yeah. you you sharing that with us. Not many would. So i got another point, potential negative. What about things like, cause I come from a sales background, um, I tend to run most of the sales, at us, so I'm always interested to pick people's brains on this kind of stuff. But what about sales training? I mean, for example, how are you guys handling it? How do you recommend? So typically, I mean, organizations that will have several outbound sales reps, account execs, closers, et cetera, they'll have either external people come in or they'll have a sales leader in-house, and they'll do all things from motivation to getting reps onboarded to going through sales processes to making sure they're hitting targets to listening to sales calls, looking for ways
1: to improve. How do you guys tend recommend that's handled? Uh, yeah, it's a great question. So our training now, the training of account executives is led by the sales department. The training of the BDRs SDRs is led by the marketing department, but because we're a smaller company or just because we're really good at alignment. So everything's done cross departmentally, all the, to be honest, everyone who starts at Hiro is kind of trained cross departmentally. So, Even though we own the bdr training and the documents and the the decks etc uh you know they're still having their uh uh, training done at least one to two hours with each of the aes that we have at least one to two hours with the vp sales and our coo um so it's really a cross-departmental effort to get people ramped up including the product team product team does some of the onboarding for our bdrs as well and our account executives um so i think you know, if the company's doing it right, there should be multiple hands involved in, in the training exercises and uh, getting people ramped up. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's how we do it here. I don't I don't really have anything specific to say about you know the actual processes within the sure. sales department. I'll say that, but I will say one thing we did, which I think uh, I can offer as a tip to other marketers or sales leaders. Uh, yeah, we brought in uh, uh, we did BDR bootcamp. And we brought in guest speakers. So we had five okay. different leaders in sales and marketing come in and actually do sessions with all of our business development representatives about different topics across the board and how they do it at different companies. And it was fascinating for me also. But I think the BDRs got mentorship out of that. They got, you know, they built a little community out of that. And so uh, that's highly recommended if you can, you know, tap into a network and get good people to participate for an hour. Yeah, uh, that's great.
0: Nice. Okay, and we've talked about quite a few of the pros as we've been chatting so far. Are there any other advantages that we've not yet discussed to doing this?
1: Uh, It's having BDRs under under marketing. Um, Yeah, so some people might be able to argue the opposite, but I think that alignment has never been better uh, between the sales and marketing department. So because BDRs are under marketing, because top of the funnel is completely under marketing, means that sourcing all of the pipeline is under marketing and it means that we have to be on exactly the same page and i know that there's some companies who say yeah well why do you need bdr's under marketing in order to have you know great relationship with the bdr's or to have you know good lines of communication with sales you don't but it's an added you know it's bumpers in the bowling alley it's really an added advantage to that uh, and it means that you know all this documentation we have around qualification it's perfectly followed our bdr's are compensated on opportunities our ae's are the ones have to qualify opportunities, so they have to be completely in sync in order for us to know how to compensate our BDrs and for in order for AES, right, to be able to say okay, I'm moving these to qualification now, um, and and so that alignment really has, has never been healthier, and hmm. I definitely attribute a lot of that to this move of, of BDrs under under the marketing department. Um, the other pro, I'm not sure how much time we have left, but the other pro I would say is is uh, again like being brand ambassadors for Hira. So, uh, making sure that messaging is followed. I think that occasionally certain sales teams, right. Might want to take their own narratives, might want to mess around with, you know, the different, uh, materials that product marketing has created. Um, and that's fine. There, there's always some freedom there. Uh, but having BDRs under the marketing department ensures that, that the brand isn't tainted. You know, I, I would be as a VP marketing, I would be, um, hard-pressed to allow our brand to hurt in the pursuit of you know uh, uh meetings booked right and i think sometimes in a sales department you might you know be so focused on the target or hitting hitting your numbers that potentially you know you're not willing to let the, or sorry you're willing to let the brand uh, uh hurt a little more and it's not you know as much of a concern so i think just having more of a, a balance there is is nice
0: yeah yeah interesting um you mentioned something a little bit there on qualification so at at, at your organisation because you're doing it so did you basically make a document with what constitutes a qualified appointment or demo or opportunity
1: yes we did
0: okay okay and is that something that you found so a year ago you switched from kind of traditional having uh outbound sales report to a sales leader now they report to marketing Did you find that when you made that transition, that the qualification process got a lot better in terms of, because I mean, it's, it's a classic thing, right? That sales will kind of sit on a demo or sit on an appointment, sit on a meeting. And if it's terrible, then if it's came inbound, then they're going to blame marketing and say, look, well, this lead was poorly qualified. It's your fault because the adverts were wrong or the marketing was wrong or the website was wrong. Have you found that that's become a lot better since you've made this shift, or are there any yeah. other interesting takes that you've seen that you weren't expecting?
1: Uh, yeah, it's a great, uh, a really great point. So um, definitely, I wouldn't say it's just because we made this shift that like our, our uh, SQL to ratio, right, the, the amount of uh, qualified meetings that become opportunities uh, is higher than it's, it's ever been. Uh, there's a couple of reasons there also because Hyro became much more focused on two specific industries and expanding in these industries versus being more agnostic. And that was a strategic play. Um, but also absolutely the the documentation of around qualification has just created a very, very clear, you know, set of almost commandments of, okay, this should pass on to an AE and, and this shouldn't pass on to an AE. What's automatic disqualification versus, you know, what's, uh, what's considered a gray area and acceptable versus what's exactly, you know, what we're looking for. And, and we have, you know, very little instances of an account executive saying uh, this meeting, you know, this account wasn't uh wasn't what we wanted. Uh, also because they do one-to-one meetings each week with the BDR and they go over the target account list, they go over, you know, what it is that our ICPs are actually looking for and looking to hear. Um, so all of that alignment, you know, just, Having the BDR still very close to the AEs, having these these documents that um, are are guiding us all and helping us navigate the right way, um, you know, yeah, that's that's been a huge boon, I think, just for how we work well together and uh, mitigating those like sales and marketing, you know, typical uh, uh, t- that typical friction that exists between the two departments. Just want to play devil's
0: advocate for a second, um, sure. And uh, this this is a bit of a controversial one, but the only thing that come straight straight to my mind when I think of documentation especially as I sit on a lot of the sales calls for for us at web Choice for certain demos and appointments that we run um when I think of kind of a document or a script it almost feels to me a little bit robotic how did you ever have any pushback from your sales rep saying I didn't want to ask these points because it just didn't feel right I've actually tweaked it to adapt it to my own style or any any kind of feedback you've got on that
1: yeah um Absolutely. I think, yeah, th- so that, you know, in terms of taking the deck and kind of, uh, again, tweaking, there, there is some semblance of like, okay, you're free to attack this account or attack, you know, this, uh, um, or attack is not the right word. You're free to uh, go after this account or, you know, introduce this account to Hyro in this way. Um, and, you know, th- there's definitely some semblance of, of uh, I think, uh, malleability there. Um, but, at the same time, you know, yeah, we have specific uh, uh, messaging that we use for specific accounts and for specific industries, and um, so it me- it's meant to be guidelines that are followed. Um, but yeah, we we don't, you know, we're not policing the sales team and saying, "Oh, you didn't ask uh, these discovery questions, so uh, therefore, you know, this is uh, th- this is a, a job poorly done, or this is not qualified," or uh, and I, I think overall, again, there's just like a level of alignment where we understand that uh, a lot of the crappy leads just aren't even getting to that phase anyway. Uh, so a lot of the, you know, usually what would be problematic leads that are then kind of finding some kind of, uh, you know, hole in the fence into the pipeline, it's, it's yeah. not happening. So um, yeah, it's not a huge issue at Hyrule, but of course we still have that, you know, we still have just like most companies, that thing where account executives kind of you know, are freestyling a bit. Um, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, It comes with the territory, I guess.
0: Mm. Cool. Okay. You handled that well. So moving forwards, let's, let's get a few, let's wrap everything up nicely. We're going to talk quickly about commission structures and what you're doing at the end, but for a company that is tuned in so far, be it a C suite, be it a marketer, be it someone that thinks, Oh, this sounds interesting. I'd like to give this a trial at our organization. What are the top tips that you found, Aaron? So if someone's starting from scratch, if someone's thinking, I want to transition now, I want to kind of see how it plays with making marketing um, the leaders in terms of who's, who the outbound sales team report to, what are the kind of the building blocks, the first few things that you need to put in place to ensure it's a success?
1: Yeah, well, one of them, right, is the, is actually what you just spoke about. So understanding the commission structure and, uh, and I think... A good way to do that is to look at a lot of the channels that exist for marketers. And th- this is, again, why I think marketing might be best suited to take on all the top of the funnel. So if you look at channels that are working for you in terms of generating meetings and opportunities, then that's how you should look at, okay, here's how I want to build out this, uh, this commission structure. And here's the maximum I'm willing to pay for a meeting created by Outbound or an opportunity created by Outbound. Um, mm-hmm. And that's how, you should, that's how you should judge also, okay, this is how I'm going to scale this thing. Um, So a lot of it is around actually how you're going to create that commission structure and how you're going to envision paying out this team. Um, You know, and and that's something I look at on a, on a weekly basis is basically our cost per meeting and our cost per opportunity from all the different sources. Um, So that's, that's where I would start is thinking about, okay, how, how do I really want, you know, this, uh, this structure uh, to exist. And um, one of the best steps after that depending again on size and where you are is to get someone who's been a BDR to lead that team and I can't stress that enough uh, it could be that you know the way it worked here is that I hired two BDRs and then I brought on a team lead once I felt comfortable with the what we've you know what we have tested and with the, the commission structure and that it could work and scale once I had a taste enough of a taste of success then I brought on a team lead but I can't stress enough how amazing this hire was the name's Lior Kraft. he's our BDR team lead and nobody poach him uh but <laughs> is, uh, he's a phenomenal uh, um, team lead now because he was a phenomenal bdr before and they, they don't always translate right but um sure. but being a good bdr and understanding the pains of a bdr is is incredible for doing the job well uh yep. you have to know how these people's mindset things when they're going to hit points of fatigue when you need to offer intrinsic extrinsic motivation um you know like uh like internal competitions and things like that, and that's key to keeping the team performing, you know, throughout 12 months. Because of yeah. course, you know, there's there's fatigue involved. It's not easy, it's, and I have tremendous respect for our uh, BDRs, for BDRs everywhere that are doing oh, likewise. This work. It's yeah, one it's of the toughest
0: lot. one of the toughest gigs there is out there in terms of a daily rejection and working through yeah. tough tough things to to get appointments over the line. So likewise, huge amount of respect for people in that aspect of sales. And yeah. certainly agree. There's nothing There's nothing worse than having a sales team leader that hasn't actually made the dials or done the work themselves. So someone yeah. shouting commands at you that's never been in the trenches. So I, I'm completely with you there. Just jumping back um, to commission. Um, yeah. Commission structure. Do you recommend that you incentivize teams based on like a, a bonus per meeting set? Is that what you
1: recommend or anything you've seen work well? Um. Again... Uh, this isn't a cop out, but really, really depends on the on the type of um, company. So, mm. you know, depends on the average customer value. Depends on how often deals sure. close. Uh, I know some companies that only uh, right give uh, uh, bonuses based on revenue that BDrs right. have brought in. Uh, okay. Which to me, which to me isn't the right thing to do for someone whose effect on that deal ends after they've had that meeting attended. Uh, which is the case of Hyro and the case of a lot of enterprise SaaS companies. Uh, So what we did was we made it like almost gamification of the whole thing. We don't even refer to it as money. We refer to it as points. And we have like a scoreboard for points. Uh, One, the the target is, um, you know, I'll tell you this uh, face face value. So um, we have one point for a qualified meeting attended or an SQL, and then an additional point if it moves to be a sales qualified opportunity. Um, Nice. So realistically what it means is if a BDR does a great job of booking a ton, a ton of meetings in a month, they can hit their uh, uh, quota. Even if a lot of those don't get qualified as opportunities for var- variety of reasons, right? Like uh, because the person said, nah, we can't evaluate this in a year, but you have a great product. So they still did a great job getting that meeting, but the timeline's not right. Um, so I didn't want them to only right be uh, um, victim to like, uh, number of meetings, because then if uh, they have a bad month and they don't book enough meetings, they don't hit target. So what we did was make it so that a BDR can also have an off month in terms of the volume of meetings. But if all of them are qualified and become opportunities, they can hit target you know, very easily uh, just because of the quality of the meetings. Um, yeah. So really we, we tried to balance it out between volume and quality. And I think that that's worked up until this point. Uh, but there's there's you know there's a ton of different ways that people structure this i i know companies that only do uh it's a fixed price like five hundred dollars for instance per opportunity right Right. that's something that i i know there's a b2b SaaS company right down the street from us that does that and that works for them i i find it weird to attach the monetary value and i think making it points makes everyone a little bit more competitive it's a weird uh a psychological thing that you see happen on the team and, and it's been really uh it's been fun to watch
0: yeah most sales reps i know love a competition so i i appreciate you sharing that that idea and i'm sure a lot of people will be tempted to steal or, or make their own variation of that because it sounds pretty cool
1: i'll send over the pdf i'm happy to do it <laughs> Oh, awesome man
0: yeah yeah do do that yeah. and we'll put a link in the episode notes at businessgrowth.marketing cool so we've got the commission we've got the bdrs um, led by a team leader who's actually done it the job themselves um, what what kind of the next few steps?
1: Uh, yeah, so having a good commission structure, um, getting that BDR team lead, um, and then, you know, this is just, just really good onboarding. Um, you know, it, it's, uh, it's something I alluded to before when I talked about bringing in experts in the field to talk to BDRs. I think it was, that's really, if I can say that our onboarding is better than others, I, I'm not so sure, but I think if there's one thing I've heard across the board from people who have, You know heard of what we're doing here or the BDRs themselves uh, other people in the marketing department that's what we've been uh, you know uh, um, told is really quite unique um, is this idea of bringing in guest speakers Uh, so just making sure that the onboarding is super robust Um, another thing we do for our BDRs is we we make them graduate by presenting the deck the product deck Uh, so actually even though we know they're not going to be doing discovery one thing I want to see is that they have a fundamental understanding of what we're selling and what are our actual value propositions. What's our actual, you know, uh, what are the pain points, right. That we're, uh, that we're addressing. And the best way to do that is to force them to present it in front of uh, a, a group of their peers. So uh, when available, I use a panel of account executives and then they ask objections with the product deck and uh, and we make it a thing, you know, we make it a graduation ceremony. It's pretty, it's pretty cute uh it works (laughs) um and uh you know it makes it's a feel-good moment it's like they've you know that so the training's done and they had to present this and they were nervous maybe but they got through it and now hopefully it's retained and it's information that they can rely on when now they're going to go off and build their first cadences and start to actually do outreach Um, yeah there's a lot of other parts of the training that i could talk about i'm sure a lot of this is standard we have cold call role playing you know we do uh, we did one at one point trial by fire. So don't think about it. Just send your first messages. And like, uh, you know, you see everybody kind of get so nervous. And then some of them even book a meeting on their first try of like, <laughs> like it's pretty insane. But, uh, we had, we had one BDR who within the first three messages they ever sent without even understanding what they're really doing, um, which I don't, I don't recommend this as a strategy for outbound, but uh, they were able to book a meeting and it's just this feel good moment, right? Like you expect it to, to not hit. Uh, at all you're just in training uh, and then you book meetings it's it's a good uh, confidence booster and that's something that we made sure was part of onboarding as well so i have a lot of tips and tricks about the onboarding itself and that's really where your bdrs are going to draw a lot of their strength from right so yeah, it's super important. yeah.
0: nice no i appreciate the breakdown aaron that's that's really useful in terms of kind of what, what you've seen work and how yeah. you've made sure it's a, a success at your organization i think having the having the team go through some un- understanding of the actual product or the offering that you provide is useful because I'm sure every now and then, if you're prospecting, people are going to ask you things. They might traditionally ask an AE, like, oh, how does this work? Or I want to know this before I speak to a sales rep. Or, I want to know this before I sit on a demo. So if you've got that little taster of knowledge, you can kind of perhaps give them a little tidbit, something to keep them hooked before you take them to the next step
1: yeah a thousand percent sam you're right and i think um to be honest it's on our to-do list to make a better objection handling cheat sheet uh for bdrs just because of the volume of questions people ask at least around HIRO. it's uh like we're conversational ai we're doing a lot of different products and a lot of different channels so there's always questions about random integrations and uh, that's something i recommend as well is, is giving them that cheat sheet as uh, as early as possible earlier than we did it
0: hmm. Hmm. this is a tough one and this is putting you on the spot a bit but what would you say is the is the number one thing number one positive result that you've had since you've switched to having your outbound sales team report to marketing
1: complete overhaul of the culture and DNA of the outbound team um I think uh, you know b- beforehand and, and this is maybe strictly to Hyrule, but uh, we just saw a real real shift like we rebuilt that team kind of from scratch and Uh, there was a lot that we were able to focus on that I think previously the team didn't understand didn't work well. And, uh, and starting from the ground up, like we just made sure that that team has, you know, such a competitive drive and and such a strong culture. Um, And, and, you know, the team chemistry is phenomenal. And the way that they gel together is phenomenal. And uh, ultimately, you know, that's the BDR team, if anything, is the closest in the company to like a sports team. That's the truth. Like they behave like a sports team. Mm. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. Um, and, and I think we were missing that that DNA uh, beforehand. And that's something we've seen. Um,
0: yeah. But high level,
1: the the switching from sales to marketing, I think, again, the best thing um, that you can expect to see as a different organization outside of hiro if you make that switch, uh, is that, you know, you'll... You'll have people who are invested in the messaging and the brand. um, And also just the alignment between sales and marketing will be that much stronger because you now have shared responsibility over pipeline. So I think that's the best advice. uh, You know, that's the best thing to look forward to if you make that change.
0: Nice way to wrap it up. I like the uh, sports people analogy because they say a lot of people that go from kind of competitive sports that go into sales do really well just because they've got that competitive edge, competitive streak.
1: One of our best uh, BDRs is a ski instructor and used to do competitive skiing. So there you go. <laughs> you know, that's, Makes sense. I don't know. Uh, there's definitely a correlation somewhere somehow.
0: Yeah, I think so too. Aaron, look, really appreciate you coming on the show, mate. This has been very, very interesting. And there's really been some actionable stuff on how people can actually put this system in play for their outbound sales team. And appreciate you being so transparent because a lot of marketers wouldn't have shared the ins and outs and wouldn't have result resulted so well in the grilling that I've given you today. So really appreciate you being very transparent, mate.
1: I hope, uh, yeah. Thank you so much, Sam. I hope uh, I was insightful for people and I encourage everyone to be this transparent. I mean, uh, you know, we're all, we're all in it together, so to speak. So
0: definitely, definitely with that said, sir, please do tell us more about how everyone tuning in can connect with you, learn more from you or anywhere you want to send our audience.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, if anyone wants to get in touch, uh, I think, Sam, maybe you'll share my LinkedIn uh, profile. But, uh, but yeah, you can look up Aaron Bores on LinkedIn and, and please uh, connect with me, reach out. I'm happy to always talk marketing or biz dev. Uh, and if anyone wants to learn more about Hyro and what we're doing in conversational AI, um, it's hyro.ai. So yeah, check out our website.
0: Top man. I'll put all of those links in the show notes at businessgrowth.marketing. And with that, thank you once again for coming on, sir.
1: Sure. Thank you so much, Tim.
0: Cool, man. And as always, if you enjoyed enjoyed today's episode, why not leave us a quick rating? If you're on the audio show or if you're tuning on YouTube, a quick subscribe. And we'll catch you on the next episode for more actionable, no BS, marketing tips to grow your business and grow your revenue. Cheers for tuning in.